Hello and welcome to the Messy and Glorious podcast. Grab a cuppa, pull up a chair and come and listen in on our conversation. Hi, I'm Sam Osmiston, your host, and today I'm speaking with Charlie Baker. Charlie is a heart-led mindset and fitness coach, coaching women towards a more positive approach to their bodies. Having been in the fitness industry for over eight years as a personal trainer, she has over time come to realise that women are being set up for failure with unrealistic body images, punishing exercise plans and restrictive dieting. She believes it's time to stop and is passionate about empowering women to break free from the guilt and take back their power. Hello, Charlie. So glad to... uh, I was just thinking, we originally wanted to do this like in person, didn't we? Because we we didn't realise we live around the corner. Well pretty much around the corner from each other so it would have been it would have been great in normal circumstances to sort of get together and have a proper uh, cup of tea but um never mind because you're here now so uh charlie i'll just give you a little bit of intro there but just for everyone that's listening who um maybe doesn't know you can you just give us an insight into what's happening with you right now where you're at you know and and what sort of got you here okay yeah so um yeah, so like you said, I am um, very much focused on body positivity within the fitness industry. Um, I spent a lot of my early years as a personal trainer um, doing fitness exactly as we're told to do fitness. So it was very much angled towards um, you know weight loss plans, um, nutrition plans that were angled towards weight loss. And um, even if uh, someone came in and said to me, oh, you know, I just, I just want to feel happier in my body. We were taught to read between the lines as I want to lose, that means I want to lose weight. And um, that I know now that that wasn't always necessarily the case. Um, so as, as my own fitness journey evolved, I um, started to realize that, you know, having been to that extreme of, you know, only eating food out of Tupperware and, <laughs> and training, uh, you know, really quite heavily um i started to understand that actually you know i I went down that route and i and i got the you know the body that i wanted to have and that didn't necessarily equal happiness and so um i started to change my own fitness journey which led me down the path of um, looking at how i treated my clients and actually that they possibly wanted the same kind of experience that i was having and um and so that i started to adapt and i started to understand that there's this whole um community of women out there who actually don't want to talk about weight loss and um, <clears throat> you know how they can be a size eight in with a 12 week transformation. (laughs) They're not, they're not interested in that. They actually just really genuinely do want to have a much better um, um, relationship with their body and their own self image. And they want to do that through the positive action of exercise and eating well. Um, And so that kind of led me into um, the creating uh, the uh, moving to self love tribe, which is a Facebook group for that exact same reason for that exact same thing so uh, women can come and know that it's a safe space to uh, talk about their fitness journeys and body image without having someone ram it down their throat that they have to lose weight <laughs> so that's where that's where I that's am where you are and do, so it's quite interesting isn't it do you um think that even though there's a lot more awareness out there I feel um towards looking to into our mind rather than just the body do you feel like the the fitness industry has cottoned onto that at all or do you think they're still doing that same same process well unfortunately the the fitness industry is um I, I read the other day that it's something like an 80 billion dollar a year industry um where most of that money is made from keeping people um, scared and insecure, um, and the way that they the way that they make their money is by um, saying that you need X Y Z product or you need to do this plan or or you you need this this diet, um, and so w- when we talk about the fitness industry, we we talk about everything um, that sort of encompasses it. You know, the the shake plans that are available. Mm the the supplements and the you know the um 
these sort of transformation packages and as well as all the gyms and you know the equipment that goes with it um so i think the fitness industry doesn't want to change <laughs> because uh by keeping people in this fearful state it makes its money mm. and so there's this real reluctance for the traditional fitness industry to move away from what they currently do and what they have been doing for a long time um, there is definitely a growing movement of um, people who are starting to understand the positive impact that um, body positivity has on you know women as a community in the fitness industry um but it's empowering it allows women to say no i don't want to do that and no i don't have to feel this way about my body i can do whatever i want and so that takes away a little bit of the power that the fitness industry has um so i think you know they're very much operating everyone operates from a from a level of fear and um when we start to remove fear and start to understand the power of our own minds and our bodies um it, it's an incredibly um liberating thing um so i think yeah there uh, there is uh, this amazing movement of women like myself you know other trainers like myself who are starting to understand that this is you know women want that um, but we are really are fighting against a very strong tide um, because the, the fitness industry is such a powerful thing. So it, it's a difficult, it's a difficult, um, it's a difficult road. It's a challenging road. But uh, there's, there's a few people who, like myself, who are committed to, you know, leading women away from that restrict, restriction and, and fear and, um, you know, the, the, the ability to or the inability to be able to decide and um, take them down a route of, of empowerment mm. how do you go about <clears throat> trying to get that message out there then like you know when you're like for me if I hit like I was in the bathroom <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and um, there was two women talking about diets and specific kinds of diets you know that we we, we know about the <laughs> all those kind of things and that and um and I was like so how do you feel about that do you know like I was trying to get them to tap into their emotions I had a little bit to drink which I don't normally do so it was like you know I was I was trying to get them to talk about how they felt about like their bodies and how they felt about eating and what they were doing um because one of them was adamant that the program that they were doing was like the be all and end all and they've been doing it forever and da, 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 da. and and I also know someone else quite close to me that's been doing it since they were a young girl and they're older now and I always feel like really uncomfortable um when people are watching their food when they're not enjoying it, when they're sat at the table and you know that all they're thinking about is, I can't eat this, I can't mm. do this. And you're looking at them and they actually haven't got an ounce of anything. They look really great. And, and, but they've got this in their head that they're still the person they were when they started out doing the program or they're still the person they've been told they are, you know, by society. How, how can we, I mean, apart from doing things like this, how, in our, on an everyday level, do you try and open up conversations to support women with that? Yeah, um, it's really difficult. I have to admit, it's, um, it's like I said, it's a really challenging path because it makes me so sad that women um, have basically been brainwashed into thinking that they have to do these things to be worth something. Um, they have to be a certain number on the scales to be worthy or to be loved. And um, it's just not, it's just not the truth. And um, so when, when, having these conversations especially when people with people who are so stuck in their ways um i take it very gently because um a lot of the time women um who you know like this woman who you were talking to in the bathroom um you know they insist that this is absolutely the best path for them because we are encouraged as women to not talk about our emotions the, uh, the reason why we may 
overeat or undereat or exercise too much or diet. Um, we're not encouraged to talk about those feelings. We're encouraged to just take action and do the diet. And so um, those deep rooted beliefs about our body image and about ourselves have been pushed way, way down. And so this is a thing that can be incredibly emotive so for a lot of women and i think when we start to ask women to bring those feelings up from wherever they've pushed them down to um it's almost like opening a can of worms that they are just sometimes not prepared to deal with mm. and so um i always approach these these things gently so when women have come into my bubble into my group where I talk about them freely uh, they all know that there are things in there that I will ask them to do or, or like start to get them to think about because they've already decided that actually yes they want to address it however for women who aren't quite there yet I take a very gentle approach because um, it's almost like poking the bee's nest <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they, they, they can get incredibly defensive um, and worried and upset about what you're asking them um, because they're kind of set in their ways, you know? They, they, it's they like have you're ripping their comfort blanket away, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, if someone isn't ready to do that, um, it can be incredibly damaging, I think. Yeah. So I think, you know, a really gentle approach and just starting to introduce the idea of, um, you know, when I, when I take on new personal training clients, I say to them, I won't weigh you, I won't measure you, and we don't discuss weight. Okay. And they initially kind of go, well, how am I meant to achieve anything then? And I said, well, you know, we look at other goals instead, you know, rather than looking at the number on the scales, we look at how you've progressed in terms of your strength or your flexibility or actually your mindset mm. how you view yourself in a different way how your confidence has grown um rather than thinking oh well i've i've hit a milestone because i've lost another stone you know um and so it's a very gentle approach and i find that it's women of a certain a certain age um who have been through those kind of classic diet plans and you know sort of the clubs and all those kind of things they are so deeply conditioned that it mm. takes a really long time to kind of prize them out of that you know that idea of, of weight loss so but I, I, I honestly the younger generation are really a lot more open to it surprisingly um especially given the you know the whole social media attack that they have on them i was gonna say yeah that that's that does surprise me i obviously um i've got two older girls um and although there's probably elements of their social media presence and having to look a certain way yeah i'd say they were more open to how they look after their bodies um they're both really um they're both, one's vegetarian one's vegan and they've thought about that as you know um as a as a step in their life to to sort of being healthy and how they want to live um from an ethical point of view but um yeah i i think that that we have this um view of young women that they're they're perhaps yeah the social media's conditioned them so much but i i agree with you on the fact that i actually feel like they're a bit more savvy than maybe we were um about these things I think they have more options in terms yeah. of what they view. So what, you know, what they consume on social media, there is now this ability to be able to say, I choose not to have these um, role models who maybe aren't so great for my, my, my image of myself. And I choose to have more of a varied approach to what I consume. Um, you know, there are, there is so many people out there now who, you know diversity is really um something that's so much more prevalent within our you know our, our our everyday world um you know you look at when we were young um we had very little to go by in terms of what what we what we could what we're we trying to say what we had as the people we had as role models mm -hmm. um, what we were told 
um, there was, you know, it's a very small scope. And you say know, we had three channels on the telly and, and if we got a sight of a newspaper, we'd be lucky. <laughs> so, you know, we were, we were relying on, um, you know, I mean, I, I look back to the people who I had as role models, female role models as a child. And I was incredibly lucky, excuse me, and that my mother was um, a slightly bigger lady, but she never once spoke about her weight. Um, she never, uh, you know, put herself down in front of me. She never said, oh gosh, I can't eat that or oh, I must lose weight or, you know, she, she never said those things. And so as a result, I grew up with this incredibly um, positive idea of my own self-image. Um, and I don't think, not every woman has that. Yeah. Um, however, you know, young women today, um, if they don't have that positive role model in that they're, you know, that the physical, the people around them, the physical people around them, they can go online and find that positivity. You know, it's, it's a lot more, a lot more open to, to having those different avenues to explore. Who, um, talking of role models, who is one somebody that you find really inspiring right now in the industry that, um, you know, you think, oh, you know, I'd not necessarily like to be like them, but do you know, like they really inspire you to do more and achieve more and, and support and empower women? Yeah. Um, Jamelia Jamil. Okay. She is. Uh, she was, she started off her career, I think, as a, as a T4 presenter or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, she, oh, listening to her, um, her speeches is really quite inspiring. Um, she, she's an actress, uh, but she very much promotes um, women's rights and women's rights to uh, have their bodies for themselves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, she talks a lot about... Um, not necessarily if you have a young woman in your life, but if you have a young man in your life, make sure they understand that women are equal and as powerful as men, um, which I think is, is, you know, an incredibly strong message, especially for our young men, <laughs> because yeah. when, when women grow up with this idea of body image it is perpetuated by what men think of them and so a lot of women that I know create this aesthetic for a man or for someone else rather than creating something strong and beautiful on the inside for themselves and so her ethos her entire approach is very much angled at make sure the men know allow the women to be able to break free from this systematic um, conditioning by allowing the men to understand what they may be subconsciously doing to a woman. And I think that's an incredible approach because not many people do that. So yeah, Jamila Jamil is, is really someone who I think is, yeah, incredibly inspiring. Cheers. And it's, I, I've got two boys as well and I'm like, Oh, the responsibility of teaching them, even if I'm just planting seeds, because I've got one who's quite emotional and one who's quite sort of closed off. So like they're very different and I can see them go through life very differently. But under there somewhere, there is definitely a respect, mm. but it's the, you're constantly fighting with the outside and the conditioning and how, you know they're told to speak to women and how they're influenced by the old generation that was in the family you know that I think sometimes the the men that are around our age and older they don't realize how they're speaking and they don't actually understand when you try and say to them do you realize how demeaning that word is or that conversation is and the kind of role model you're being to the kids and da, da, da. you know that that they don't they have no awareness of it because it's so conditioned from what and what were we watching me and the kids were watching 16 candles with um oh, what's it? molly ringwald i don't know i don't know how old you are exactly but this is like something that i would have watched and been like she was one of my favorites 
Yeah. And the my, I've got um, my um, oh, now 20 year old uh, girl on one side and my now 17 year old boy on one side. Um, but all of us looking at each other in complete disgust about how, how the boys were talking and how the girls were talking about themselves. Yeah. Like as if they were like a piece of something and it's like, yeah. we're aghast. <laughs> But this is how we grew up. This is yeah. it's so normal and noticed. No, when when I talk about the deep-rooted conditioning that women have, I mean it really is on such a subconscious level that you know women don't even realize, you know, that that they have been conditioned this way. And you know, you look at you look at back at the kind of um TV shows and films and things that we had in the 80s and you think oh my goodness you know it's it's really quite shocking um but I think that the good thing is that we are starting to be you know a lot more aware now um or especially the you know the, the film industry and the um tv industry is starting to be more aware of these things and allowing or not allowing you know encouraging um women to be at the forefront you know I mean I was I was watching something with my girlfriend the other day um and I said isn't it amazing that uh we were watching a cop drama called uh, no offense I don't know if you heard of it it's absolutely brilliant it's like a it's like it's a bit of a dark comedy it is a, yeah. it is a cop drama but it's a bit of a dark comedy but the 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 lead characters are three females okay and, and they're but they're three women who approach copying from a really <laughs> from a really different different angle yeah and, um you know one's really quiet and kind of you know like quite like oh no I'm not sure that that's right kind of thing but then when the shit hits the fan sorry I'm allowed to swear yeah that's so, cool yeah. <laughs> when the shit hits the fan, she's like proper kick-ass you know she pulls it out and then there's another one who's just like proper like go in all the time like hard and heavy and but I was said to her I was like isn't it amazing that the three lead characters are all women yeah you know like it's so rare that you see that um and it's sort of you know I, I was it, it's interesting that when you you know the the gender the gender divide is um I mean it's it's very easy for us to define you know um what's a male character and what's a female character um because usually it's we're told mm-hmm. uh, you know but then when it comes to uh, defining their the, the roles in you know how they should behave in certain things we are starting to push the boundaries with that, yeah. you know, which is, is amazing because in, you know, in that same um, cop drama, if it was maybe set in the nineties, those three lead characters definitely would have been men. Yeah. yeah. Definitely would have been men. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, things are changing, you know, definitely things are changing. Yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge that we all contain I mean, masculine and feminine, as you know, we know them um, within ourselves and that, you know, it's okay to be dominant in one or the other or to bring out one rather than the other and and sort of use that successfully and, um, you know, through your life in order to, you know, to, to, to do what you want and achieve what you want to. You know, we've, we all have those characteristics within us um, and they should be represented with on on tv um you know there's not just a black and white version of anybody or any one person um and that's not just something new (laughs) that's that's like when i hear stories of um from the older generation you know um talking about how they never got married and they used to live with their friend do you know and things like that but but they were actually together you know yeah. and things like and it's like how beautiful is that but they managed to still achieve it in an yeah. honest way even though you know god it was hell back then for for anybody yeah. in a, a relationship with the same sex or yeah. but it's we, we this should be represented on a regular basis within children's programs and um you know, an everyday telly, 
uh, because it's a representation of real life. <laughs> it's like, it's like, wake up. <laughs> You've got to, you know, show it as it is. <laughs> it's not, it's not, not normal. Um, yeah, it's like, oh, it just does, it does my head in, um, you know, that, that we have such the closed, even now, I just can't believe even after all this time, we're like in 2020 and it's still uncomfortable yeah. for people. Yeah. to see anything other than um it's like the diversity thing the other night well however you you feel about it being an entertainment program it's still a really important way of of demonstrating the reality of what's going on in life isn't it um yeah, yeah. I'll, go, I'll go off on a complete tangent in a minute <laughs> I, I really do think that you know um if we look at how um people identify um in the world um that also pulls into um the fitness industry quite strongly because um you know in the fitness industry it's always been quite clear-cut women are women men are men men weight train women do diets and so actually that you know that diversity that's starting to appear is pushing those boundaries as well because women it's it's absolutely 100% acceptable now for women to weight train mm. uh, which you know you, in the 80s it was like oh if, if you were a bodybuilder in the 80s you were considered masculine and you know and you probably took steroids to look a certain way yeah. um, whereas now it's absolutely very much um, acceptable for a woman to have muscles you know and for women to be able to to have a strong body rather than a skinny body you know um so i think you know those those gender roles are really important and how people identify um and the fact that we are becoming more open to um this sort of gender fluidity um has really helped the fitness industry uh progress so it is relevant it absolutely is relevant. yeah no i never thought about it like that actually I, I guess I always thought like the fitness in industry was purely a masculine, whether you were a man or woman and not anything in between, mm. you know, it, that, that's kind of how it comes across with the whole bodybuilding thing anyway. Um, based on, I think probably from the eighties and nineties when I visualized the kind of things that have been on telly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so oh, no, but I used to love, um, um, glad yeah gladiator and, and all gladiators yeah yeah, oh, yeah. you program gladiators yeah gladiators with yeah. um wolf and and yeah. oh my gosh what's the name jet jet yeah oh god well, what, yeah that that was amazing but then when you watch them back and see about all the accidents they had on that it's like oh my god it's quite scary but it, yeah, it's like it was still gung ho and da 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 da, wasn't it? Black and uh, black and red and, and everything like that, you know, like completely representative of that masculinity. Even though there was women involved, it, but it was quite um, women involved were gymnasts, yeah, bodybuilders, bodybuilders, yes, yeah. So you know, it's again, it's that sort of like, oh well, women come from one one. Uh, you know part of it and men come from another yeah. whereas you know if they did gladiator now well it'd be a it'd be a completely different story yeah wouldn't it? i think so in fact actually recently i watched a program um what was it called it's so it's the rocks you know the rock oh, yeah, Dwayne, yeah. it's his uh tv program um and it's based in america and it's called titan yeah. i think it's the titan games maybe anyway it's it's essentially a um it's a bit like gladiator it, but they had to they had to um pitch against each other so rather than a contestant going against the against a gladiator it was contestant against contestant and they had to do something uh, incredibly physical to get through to the next level and um you know the women on there were i think they did everything the men did. There was no exception. So it, you know, the weight that the men lifted, the women also lifted, yeah. you know, and it was like, there, there was no divide between men and women. The only divide was that women 
were against women contestants and the men were against men contestants but there was no um differentiating you know they didn't say oh well women only have to carry 30 kilos whereas the men have to carry 50 can happen upon it a lot yeah Yeah, it does happen a lot because they make it you know they say well women are weaker you know and it's like well actually no it's it's not true because you make your body as strong as you want to make it. Yes. Yeah. You know, yes, we have, we have different bodies physiologically. We do, we have different bodies, you know, and, and um, but actually that, that's not a restriction anymore. It's not, it's just not. So yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely, you know, identity within the fitness industry is, um, it's actually something that I struggled with quite a lot because I, when I first started, I thought I had to look a certain way, mm-hmm. be a personal trainer. And um, so I t- did everything I could to try and make sure that I looked like a female personal trainer. <laughs> and, you know, I did the restrictive dieting and I did the punishing exercise. I mean, the exercise I love. So it wasn't really, I never really thought, oh God, I have to go to the gym now, you know, but the dieting, I, I, I will fully admit that it's hard. It's really hard work. Um, you know, everything was weighed, everything was measured, everything was counted. I knew exactly how many macros were in what I was eating. So I, when I say macros, for those of you who don't know, that is um, carbohydrates, fats, and protein. I knew exactly what was in everything and it was all tracked. And can you imagine... Uh, so- <laughs> imagine because they because they do this but can you imagine waking up in the morning and saying right what am I going to eat today and you have to plan it all beforehand and you put it all into your app and what you have in your app and what you've weighed out is what you eat there's no diversity no I couldn't do that it's hard and so um you know I had this idea I was like I thought this is what I have to do this is what I have to do because this is the only way that my clients are going to trust me if I, if I look the part, then they'll trust me to be able to get them to where they want to be as well. And so, um, part of my journey actually was like finding my identity within the fitness industry was incredibly empowering for me because I don't do that anymore. I don't do the dieting. I don't do the, um, you know, the counting of calories or macros or measuring or tracking and I encourage women to also move away from that so which is something that they they, you know they have a particular trouble with because with all of those kind of mainstream diets and clubs and everything it's all about tracking it's all about counting it's all about you know the good food and bad food (laughs) and so you know I'm encouraging women to move away from that because I found for, for me it was so empowering and so liberating and they can have it too. Do you, so you try and bring a lot of intuition-based practices in to, to women's uh, pro, well, process, lifestyle. <laughs> we got the process. Yeah. That, because I think we, by the, because we're so rigid with, we have to have breakfast at a certain time, we have to have break at a certain time, like school and things and lunch here and that, or not have lunch or sit at the desk when we're eating lunch, da, 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 and all that. Do you think, um, I, I think I, I know from my own experience that I'd forgotten I'd even got any intuition when it came to eating. Yeah, How did people so. get, get sort of back into that? Well, I follow a practice called intuitive eating. So exactly what you're saying is getting back to um, listening to your body, essentially. That's what it is. And um, intuitive eating um, is a process that can take a, a real it's it's hard to get your head around because it the 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 general idea of of um, intuitive eating is that you um remove all ideas of dieting from your um from your everyday world and start listening to what your body actually needs and wants so we have uh, receptors in our um in our brain um, that uh, release certain hormones when we're hungry and releases a different hormone when we're full. And we um, essentially have been conditioned to ignore those. <laughs> 
So like you say, breakfast is in the morning, lunch is in the middle of the day and dinner's at the end of the, of the day. Um, and you eat those meals and um, that's, you know, that's what, how we do it. That's how, how our day works. And um, those, it, those, those conditioning things have come from um, a lot from, you know, our daily routines. So as, as children, we maybe don't have, so as a toddler, you may not have this um, structure that, that we have. I mean, I know my child is four and he eats when he's with me, he eats when he wants. So I very much encourage that. Are you, are you hungry now? And if he goes, no, I go fine. We don't need to eat lunch now. Tell me when you're hungry. And you go, oh yeah, you know, sort of an hour later, I'm like, oh, I'm hungry now. And I'll go, okay, what do you want? Do you want something big or do you want something small? Like, how do you feel? And he was like, mm, I think I'll just have this. And I'm like, cool. And then an hour later, he might go, I, I think I'm a bit more hungry now, you know? So I encourage that, you know, for him to listen to his body. But lots of people, when they think they're giving their children this kind of like structure and routine, they're actually starting the process of us not listening to our bodies. Mm. Unfortunately, it's just kind of the way that it, it, it has to go in terms of, you know, if you are in a job where you have a set lunchtime, um, you have to eat lunch during yeah. that time, don't you? You just have to, whether you're hungry or not. If you're not allowed to eat at your desk or you may work in a factory where you're not allowed food on the factory floor, you know, that's just how it rolls. However, there are lots of things you can do outside of that to make sure that you're listening to your body. But we have, yeah, again, it sort of goes along with that kind of, that very early conditioning of this is when you eat. So when I speak to women about intuitive eating, I very much try and get them to pull away from that idea of, I have to eat at these certain times. And um, also the idea of, I have to eat certain foods. Um, intuitive eating encourages you to eat what you want, um, which a lot of women have a real problem with because it's basically carte blanche to eat whatever you like <laughs> and um the process is quite tricky because nine times out of ten when you start intuitive eating you do put weight on yeah. um, and so women are like oh my god i can't do this because i'm completely out of control you know there's no control to it <laughs> um but that's kind of the idea that yeah. you remove the controlling aspect of dieting um, I know when I started intuitive eating, I did, I put weight on, but I gave myself complete freedom to do that without guilt because I knew it was part of the process. So, uh, you know, because I've been restrictive dieting and it was interesting actually that I thought about this the other day and, and I've never thought about this. I said to my girlfriend, I said, would you like some pizza? And she went, oh yeah, let's have takeaway pizza. And I was like, great. So I was like, what do you want? She went, should we share, um, like have half this and half that? And I went, oh, share a pizza. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> do you need more than half a pizza? And I was like, yes, I need a whole pizza and I need a side and we need to get cookies and ice cream and a big bottle of Coke. <laughs> and she went, Right. Why do you need that then? And I was like, because that's what we do. And I was like, that's, that's how you do pizza. That's how you do takeaway pizza. And she was like, why? And I was like, good question. Why, do, why do I do that? And I started to think about it. And, you know, even as an experienced coach of this way of thinking, I'm still learning myself. Yeah. And I thought, why do I do that? And I thought, I know why I do that because when I restrict, when I restricted my diet, when I said I can only eat this between these times, um, on cheat day, I went all in. Okay. Because I was restricting so often that right cheat cheat meal comes along, I'm going to get as much as I can and I'm going to absolutely binge. And I thought do you know what? I don't need a whole pizza and I don't need sides and I don't need cookies and I don't need ice cream. And I don't need a whole bottle of Coke. We can share a pizza. And it's about changing that idea that, you know, there's the restriction and then there's the binging because yeah. lots of, that, especially in the fitness industry, this is a big thing. Cheat days. Oh, they, it winds the hell up whenever I see, you know, a, a, maybe a new client comes to me and I go, so how, 
how's your nutrition? Like, oh, well, I only eat this and this between Monday and Friday and on Saturday night I have a cheat night. And I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> it's like, it's oh. like, it's making it naughty, isn't it? Like the whole, like eating something that's out of the rules is naughty. And, yeah. and, and that kind of, it gives you a quick buzz, but actually leaves you feeling really guilty and shameful and like, and that's, completely not okay it's like to, to it's have how disorders start yeah. <laughs> you're guilty about binging on foods that you maybe shouldn't have because yeah. their society tells you they're naughty you know so um yeah i mean i think there's with the intuitive eating it's a it's a really long slow process for a lot of women um some women get it straight away because they've kind of been through this dieting process all their lives and then suddenly they're like i don't want to do this anymore yeah. i can't do this it's more it's like just you know so draining so emotionally draining to me to diet constantly I'm unhappy I you know I always feel hungry and I feel bad when I have something that I'm not meant to eat the guilt's all consuming for them and so they they are ready you know from the get-go to just go yes I, I don't want I want to change I want to find a better way of moving through my life um you know not feeling bad about eating which is something we all have to do <laughs> yeah gosh uh, um yeah I, I i'd love to try that intuitive eating thing actually we must uh, i must talk about that further with you because i think um I, I do trust my body quite a lot but i um think sometimes there's reasons why i go for something else and i'm on my own a lot you know working from home so it's like temptations i would i don't even like chocolate but sometimes it's like i'm like why am i eating this you know it's like i have no reason for eating it i don't even really like chocolate i've not got a sweet tooth so it makes no sense whatsoever but those kind of things that take like there's always a, a feeling that's almost like in a cloak a cloaking device isn't it for that that's actually trying to tell you something but it's been cloaked by something else and yeah. you need to kind of decode it <laughs> as to what it means and to yeah i mean i think again it's you know um when you start um sorry when you stop using food to um mask something else mm -hmm. those emotions are um, those those things are brought to the forefront and you know um intuitive eating is very much about understanding why you may have used food in a certain way in the past um and you know most people men aren't so bad about it Man, men aren't so bad with this but women definitely are emo can be emotional eaters and um when you start to say okay well why am i eating this thing or why can't I stop eating during a certain time when I feel emotionally charged um, means that you have to confront the ideas. You have to confront what's going on, you know, deep down. And a lot of people just aren't ready. You know, they just aren't willing to go into those things. And, you know, it can be that sometimes um, something really bad has happened in someone's life you know something really awful and so um there's you know the way that they are able to control things is through food and you know food's a really easy thing to control because it's socially acceptable food is a really easy way of um masking something because no one's gonna no one's gonna send you to rehab for eating <laughs> If you start drinking too much or taking drugs, people go, oh, you've got a problem, yeah. you know? Generally, if you start eating, you know, too much during the day, no one's gonna pick up on that. No one's gonna, no one's actually gonna say to you, oh, you know, are you gonna have another donut? <laughs> you know, they'll just let you get on with it, you yeah. know? Um, and you know, it's, it's very hard to see when someone's using food as a control method, um, unless, of course, they are um, under eating. So when mm. disorders are being used, so, you know, um, although binge eating is also, a, a, you know, an eating disorder, they have to go to the extremes before someone says anything. You know, if you put yeah. an awful lot of weight on, 
someone might say, oh, you're eating too much. That's the problem. Or if you put, lose too much weight, someone will say you, you've got a problem, you know, with, with food. But there's this kind of almost, you know, these peripherals of the, of the eating disorder world where it's acceptable. Yeah. You know, and no one's going to pick up on it. No one's going to know. Um, and so food is a really easy way to control emotions and control, you know, something in your life where you may be feeling out of control with some, with other aspects. Um, so it's a very tricky thing to deal with. And so when, again, it, it requires a really delicate approach. Um, and so I very, I always go in very gently with nutrition um, because it can spark these, you know, these things in people that, maybe they're not ready to deal with so it's it's a tricky one <laughs> it's a tricky one isn't it and just going back to and you're talking about your mum and how she was a really positive role model and obviously that's had an influence on you because of the the way that you are with your son and and how you you know give him freedom to understand his his body how does um how does your experience with your mum how has it helped you navigate like connections and you know, being with other people's families or having relationships with people and being influenced by maybe that not so positive uh, mindset? Because mm. obviously you may, you've been with friends or in the, been in their homes or whatever and as a child, how have you, have you managed to ward off that, that negativity and be so, and kept your mum's positive, you know, positive influence? Well, um, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's so much to do with my mum's influence as more to do with my own, um, bullshiness. I, I grew up, um, and I think my parents have something to do with this, but I think, um, I don't really know where I got it from because, uh, my, my mum's a very quiet person. She's quite introverted. Um, and um, she's very, you know, sort of emotionally in touch with herself and people around her. She's incredibly empathetic. And, you know, she, she is one of these people who kind of absorbs all of the emotions that's coming from someone else and takes them on on her own, which I also do. But then my dad is this incredibly outgoing and um, social being who's really sort of, you know, quite vivacious and loud and stuff and so I suppose that the combination of these two people has created who I am um I was never really bothered as a child about what other people thought of me however I was scared about everything it's it was a really weird juxtaposition that I had as a child and I only thought about this recently in that I was scared of everything as a child and not bothered by anything. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's a really, <laughs> I think outwardly I was this kind of really, I would literally talk to anyone. And I remember my dad telling me a story. I used to call my parents by their, their names rather than mum and dad. And um, when I was about three, I, I, my dad said that I walked up to someone at a music festival and just started chatting to them. And they were like, um, okay who are you like I'm Charlotte, I'm Charlotte then I'm Charlotte and uh, where are your parents and I was like oh Steve's over there and they were like okay is that your dad and I'm like yes then why do you call him Steve oh well you know that's his name <laughs> like literally like I was the most confident child you'd ever meet I, I went off and did everything um but inwardly I was really scared of um lots of things I was scared of looking stupid I was really, really scared of looking silly or stupid in front of people. And I have no idea where that came from. I really don't. But considering there was this other side of me where I just did whatever I wanted. Um, and as, as I've kind of grown up, then it's, it's kind of flipped around. And I actually, I, I mean, I really don't, I'm not scared at all of anything now, <laughs> which is a little bit dangerous in some aspects, I think. Um, and, you know, I, re I really, I'm not really that bothered about what people think of me in any aspect I you know it's nice to be liked but um so I think that attitude carried me through as a child to have this incredible mindset as, a, as an adult however I mean looking at the I say I'm not scared of things I actually am scared of a lot of things I'm scared of not succeeding and I'm scared of succeeding <laughs> oh, and I'm, I'm, I'm very with you on that 
I, I've got a lot of experience of failure, which I actually quite, you know, it's a good, good thing. But the success thing is quite scary, isn't it? Like to not know where, how that would pan out and to kind of like, yeah, are you going to be okay with what that success looks like? And what, what, and almost sometimes like, what does it look like? Yeah. Is that how you feel? Is that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, success for me is, um, uh, success is, is subjective, isn't it? You know, everyone has a different idea of success. And um, I think success for me changes quite regularly. Um, I would consider myself relatively successful in that I am influencing women to a better way of life. Um, you know, and I know I'm having an impact on people and I know that, that you know, that things are changing in their lives because of the way that I, um, what I project into the world. So that for me is, is, is great. But um, my parents being old hippies um, are incredibly left wing. And um, I, it, this only emerged for me very recently when I started to do the mindset work behind, you know, being an entrepreneur, um, I never realized would be so difficult in that I'd have to dig really deep. <laughs> oh yeah. It's funny. We were talking about this, this in my last interview with uh, Ruth. She we were talking about how, what an amazing journey it is, but how like, oh my God, I didn't know that about myself and how much you have to delve. Yeah, it really is crazy. And, and I, I started to realize that I have a really bad relationship with money um, because um, in my head, money equals bad. Mm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting that, um, so I was, I was told certain things as a child um, that, you know, um, I was going to have to work really hard throughout my entire life just to get by. Uh, um, yeah. So I, that, that was the mindset that I was in. So I was always like, I have to work all the hours that God sends just to make a living. Um, and so when I started to work as an online entrepreneur and I started to understand that, you know, the possibilities in, in what I could earn, um, it started to, I started to realize that I, I needed to change something about my mindset. And so I started on this journey, but what I started to understand was that because my parents are very left wing and their approach to wealth mm -hmm. is that, that, how do I, how do I put this in a way that doesn't offend people? <laughs> don't, don't worry about that. I think, I, I think we understand that what you're saying is that, and I think that, that, you know, I have this in my own family as well, where um, wealth isn't viewed as, as something that is attainable by people who are working class, who work yeah. for a living. It's yeah. something you're given and not earned. And, and that's a misconception. Is that, is that what you, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, yes, part of it. But I think also that um, I, I suppose I'm on a very deep subconscious level. I'm worried that if I become wealthy, my parents will see me as the bad man. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. You know what I mean, sort of like yeah. you know, well, only 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 selfish people mm -hmm. are wealthy. Selfish bad people are wealthy, yeah. and so if I become a wealthy person, um, you know, if I succeed, you know, exponentially in my business, if it becomes this you know incredibly successful thing, uh, my parents will go, oh well, you've changed. Mm. <laughs> Even though it probably won't change. No. I am, I am me and I think I'm quite grounded when it comes to wealth, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I was told certain things as a child. I've always been very entrepreneurial in that I would make things and sell them out the front of my house. <laughs> and my dad was like, oh, that's amazing. You know, you're just, you, you know, you find the oddest things and create them into something and then people buy them, you know. And my mum used to call me a breadhead. And so those kind of like these ideas that, my mum was saying, well, you're a breadhead. And she used to use that derogatory term. And I've, I've since talked to her about this. And she said, I had no idea that that kind of thing was going to be, was going to end up being such a limiting belief for you. As yeah. An well, you don't do. I, I, I try my, yeah, try my best as a mum to think about every single word that I say, but you can't, you couldn't, no. you, you say something that's just natural to say for you that's inbuilt. Yeah. And, and it's going to have an effect and it, 
it's difficult but I think it's good if you can have that conversation with your parents yeah. about that um to sort of like yeah to learn in both ways because you know what so what's bread head because that is that a southern term or is it not yeah. well i'm actually just about to say have you ever have you ever heard this term because it's it's quite it's quite an un, unknown term it's like a um yeah i think it was very much used more in the 80s um but a breadhead is someone who's always focused on money yeah because i know we, we, right, bread a was a, a program when we were younger and it was all about the, the money and it yeah but um yeah. yeah i was thinking it must be around that but i i've never I think, actually heard it i think it comes from you know the um the, the slang term for money can be dough okay so redhead like came from that um but yeah my mummy my mum never used it as a as a, a derogatory term it, uh, towards me yeah. however my connotation of the words uh, was was very much negative and so when she said that to me I thought well I was I was doing something bad mm. because I was a breadhead <laughs> you know so <laughs> um <laughs> so um yeah so they you know the, all of these things that kind of um this sort of real um negative pulse around money as a child we were never particularly rich either um you know we never struggled particularly i don't ever remember being you know destitute but we never had a lot of money and so you know money caused arguments and you know and, and i knew that you know I, I picked up on that and i could sense the tension around money and so those things form these ideas that we have as an adult and it wasn't until i started to do um i actually went through a um uh, rapid transformation therapy course which is kind of a bit like self-hypnosis and I took myself back into that regression and I understood I started to understand where all of these because prior to that I had no idea why I couldn't up level and earn any more money than I currently was yeah it was it was really it was quite eye-opening Gosh, it, it is, isn't it, when you trail back through I've done some journey work and things and, and when you trail back and you find the the little pieces, the little nuggets of, yeah. of uh, not always nice things, but just things that you need to remember in order to, to sort of put the pieces back together in a, in a little bit more of a, a more friendly and uh, supportive way, um, yeah. don't you? For sure. Yeah. Um, right, so uh, tell me a little bit about your, because I, I really just love the name of this, the Female Fitness Freedom Project yeah <laughs> that, that i just like how did that come about so um this is a 10 step um um course that focuses that kind of looks at every aspect of um how we've been conditioned to look at our fitness industry and how to unravel it essentially um so um it's just i suppose it just allow it allows women to have a better idea about what fitness is um we have these sort of really set ideas of fit you know exercise is something we have to do mm -hmm. and you know i am a big advocate for movement but not necessarily exercise in its conventional form yes i do um i i do conventional exercise because it's what i love doing i love mm -hmm. lifting heavy things and then putting them back down again <laughs> <laughs> joy <laughs> um, but I know that that is not the case for you know a lot of women and so um, it's very much an exploration of um, what fitness means to you as an individual and how you can find joy in movement um, as well as understanding a little bit about the underlying reasons as to maybe why you haven't um, been able to look after your body as much as you'd like because of those kind of emotional barriers to, to you know, mm -hmm. truly allowing self-care into your, into your daily routine. Oh, it sounds fab. It sounds, yeah, really, really positive and really empowering um, uh, to do. I think everyone should go and check that out for sure. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I was going to go delve into community a little bit more, but we're kind of like running out of time a little bit here. And I just like how i'm just gonna ask you one question about community like how what what part and importance does it 
play in your work having having that body love club and and everyone come together what do you think would be the one thing that people get from it um well um connection is one of my core values it's um one of the things that i uh most value in life it's the ability to be able to belong to something that means something to me and so um from from a very selfish aspect i suppose though i bought i bought those people together so that i could be yeah. amongst people who thought the same way as me yeah. um you know i i obviously i have work to do because this i truly believe that this is what i was meant to be you know i was put on this planet to help women feel better about themselves and start loving themselves and move through their lives um in in a much more positive way when it comes to their well-being and their health and their fitness um but you know I very much need to connect with other women who believe that there is, you know, so much more to your fitness journey than just going to the gym. And so, um, and I think those, I think the women in my, in my community feel the same, you know, having that connection with someone who gets it. I think that's it. It's just, you know, Oh, at last someone who gets it, you know, and I, um, you know, I'm this week, I'm actually in the middle of uh, running the body love boot camp, which is a, you know, a five day boot camp that looks at all things, fitness, mindset, and nutrition related from that positive aspect. And I had this woman contact me. She joined the boot camp and she said, Oh, at last, like, it's so difficult to find people like you who, um, who have this idea, who have the, you know, who are pushing this, this um, positive agenda around the fitness industry, uh, you know, that, that, that isn't all about weight loss. I'm, she, I'm fed up of it. I'm just so fed up of listening to the weight loss thing, yeah. you know, the, the shakes and the diets and the pills and the, you know, all of it. And she was like, I, I'm so glad I found you. And so I think, you know, I think most of the women in the, in the group, feel the same you know they are just so um glad to be part of a community you know and have that connection with other women who get what they're going through so yeah i think you know community for me is massive and it's one of the things you know business aside if i um wasn't making a living from doing what i do um keeping that community going i think is one of the most important things for me um, you know, and if I, if I suddenly came into an awful lot of money, so if I won the lottery tomorrow, uh, it wouldn't stop for me. It wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't be something that I just go, oh, well, I'm done with this now. You know, it's, it's my, it's my life work, regardless of whether I make money at it or not. It's something I have to do. Um, and, and I've, and I've realized that more than ever in the past, you know, year or so that, um, it's not something I have a choice in leaving behind. <laughs> I have to do it <laughs> fully committed all in and it's attached to you completely yeah I totally get that I yeah it it's such it isn't it such a, a wonderful feeling to sort of be doing the work that you would do yeah even if you weren't getting paid it's like oh yeah I'm grateful for it every single day yeah I'm grateful, I'm grateful for the incredible women that I have around me and you know the the you know just as much as as much as you know they say that I help them they help me and I, I tell them regularly I'm like you know you guys keep me keep me on track you know you keep me with a purpose in life so don't you know don't stop just you know keep being there you yeah. know we need to be there for each other so um yeah I'm, I'm eternally grateful it goes into my it goes into my into my you know grateful log <laughs> a lot <laughs> Oh, that's I love that. I love that grateful log. <laughs> uh, just one last question, and I ask everybody: is if you could shine a light on any area of darkness in the world, what would it be, and why? Wow. Um, honestly, I think the fact that so many women go through their lives feeling unhappy with their bodies 
I think it's just such a massive thing. If I had a magic wand that could literally ping on the top of their head and change that for them, it would, it, it makes me incredibly sad, like really, really very deeply sad that women go through their lives hating themselves. Um, and having um, been able to move to a place where I love myself more, I want that for every woman. And if I could, yeah, that, that's where I'd shine light, you know, for, for every woman who looks in the mirror and says that they're not worthy of love, even from themselves. If I could change that, that would be, yeah, I would die happy. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you. Oh my God. It's, I tell you, I, I was like, oh no, we've got to stop. <laughs> I don't want to stop. I enjoyed, I really, really enjoyed um, speaking with you about the, uh, all this uh, positivity about bodies and um, it's really been an eye opener. Thank you. Thank you for, for joining me and um, sharing your wisdom with um, the Messy and Glorious podcast uh, community because um, I think they'll find it completely such a valuable resource. Thank you. Um, for having me. I've really enjoyed it too. So. <laughs> so if any uh, for those of you who are listening um anything we've mentioned um or any links or anything you've mentioned and also where you can find charlie will be in the show notes so please do go and have a look at charlie's website and um take a look at her community um and uh, just find out a little bit more about her and get us you know try that body positivity on the size thank you and um, take care i'll see you next time <laughs>